You may be seated. This summer we've worked our way through a number of the Psalms, and today we'll be taking a look at Psalm 127. In the last few weeks, we've looked at various Psalms from a section of the Psalter known as the Songs of Ascent. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. All these psalms we've looked at have been pointing thematically toward today, toward our focus, toward the church. Looking at the heritage, specifically of Calvary Presbyterian Church today. We've recognized our veteran members just a moment ago. We are going to have our heritage banquet. Through it all, we're celebrating our 75th anniversary as a particular church. And so today we want to look once more to God's word to see what it has to say to us in light of our past and in light of our future. Before we look to, the, to today's text, though, let's look to God for his blessing on our time. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. Speak not because we deserve to hear your voice, not because we've earned that right, nor because we are able to do more with it than others, but speak to us because your word is living and active. Speak to us because you are a gracious God. Speak to us because for your purposes and your glory, you have chosen to make us your children. We long to do your will. So we ask that you would speak to us now. And we ask it in Jesus' name, even he who was the word made flesh. Amen. Here now. Psalm 127, this is the inspired word of God. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to Go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, this psalm, like others that we've looked to in recent weeks, 
as I mentioned a moment ago, is a song of ascents from that section of the Psalter, Psalm 120 to 134, those 15 psalms. It, like the other ones in that section, has that very title at the beginning. That's where we begin. A song of ascents. It was sung, as the others were, by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, as it was said in the idiomatic language of the day that they might attend the religious festivals, that they might come and offer sacrifices to the Lord God and worship him. But this song of ascents has a little bit extra on the title you might have noticed. A song of ascents of Solomon. It's the only one of the 15 psalms that has that portion affixed to it. It is unlike the others, from the pen of Solomon. It's he, the king of God's people, the son of King David, who authored this psalm for us. Now we need to look this morning and see how much this little psalm follows the pattern of the gospel. I really do believe as, as we look to it, we can see how it, it reminds us of our inability on our own and of how foolish it is to find our ultimate confidence in ourselves. And it points us out to that wonderful truth that our confidence should rest instead in the loving power of God. And so Solomon, in teaching us these lessons, uses a number of different, very real-world examples for us. Examples of foolish self-confidence. First of all, he says it's foolish to be confident in our ability to build. That's very pertinent to us, I think, living in the community we live in. This is a community of builders, right? Uh, I can't build anything, but, but a lot of you can. And a lot of people around us are, are builders, able to build things. But Solomon tells us that it is foolish be overly confident in our ability to build. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. He says it has to be the Lord who is ultimately building. Remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, that wonderful example of Jesus teaching when he came to the end of teaching all the things that he taught to his disciples with others overhearing, listening in on that discussion. What he said was this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus gives this example of these two builders. One was wise, one was foolish. To the best of our knowledge, as he gives the example, they are both equally capable as builders, right? They, they, they all knew where to put the nails and where to put the boards and, and how to affix the things together and, and how to run the wiring. And Well, he probably didn't have wiring back then, but you know what I'm saying. He as far as we know, they were equally talented builders. But one was wise and one was foolish. 
right? It was not just their ability to build, but where they grounded their buildings. The one does it in the solid ground, the other in the shifting sands. And so it is that we need to make sure that whatever it is we build, we build on the solid ground, on the rock that is on Jesus. He needs to be the foundation of all that we build, and we need to be wise about that. We need to trust God to be the one who is actually building up from that foundation. We must not try to do things just by our own abilities, for our own purposes, for our own glory. Remember the example in Genesis 11. We've looked there many times. We'll look there many times again because it is so foundational. It is, it is such a, a basic truth in the, the gospel narrative that we need to remember. In Genesis 11, the people in, in Babel decided that they would build a tower. They said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. They said, they said let's make a name for ourselves. Let's do something by, by our own strength, by our own might, and we will, we will be mighty. We will build this tower because of, of who we are and what we can build. We will make our name great, and God says not so fast. Right? He, he confuses their languages so their plans fall apart and their tower tumbles in the building, much like the man who builds on the shifting sands is ultimately unsuccessful. And then in the wake of that, the very next thing in the narrative is in chapter 12 where God calls Abram and says to him, you need to go, go to a place you do not know and I will make your name great. It is God who will do it, not them being able to make their own name great, but rather God who would make their name, his name great, and through him he would bless all the earth. And he has done that, of course. It is God who is the one who works to that, and we must trust in him to build. When Calvary started all those years ago, not this building, but, but the church itself, it was something that the Lord built. It wasn't just some individuals who, who had their own ideas and their own desires and, and their own plans for their own glory to come together and start something. Right? It, wasn't just, it wasn't just the Zetterbergs who, who came out to this part of town and started a Sunday school so that they could become famous Sunday school starters. Right? That, that wasn't their goal. They came out under the direction and the leadership of God so that he might use them to begin what has become Calvary Presbyterian Church. Those 101 charter members didn't join that church and say, we can build this and we can, we can be famous. And, and 75 years from now, people will remember us as the people who started Calvary Presbyterian Church. No, they wanted to be faithful to God. They wanted to be faithful to God and follow him together and serve him and be used by him as he built something. It wasn't... Walter Taylor, our first pastor, deciding that, that if he could show up here at Calvary, he could, he could really get something done. You know, he would get it done, and, and he would accomplish his purposes, and, and he would have a great long ministry, and, and every, no, it was a desire of his to serve the Lord, to be used by the Lord so that the Lord might build 
something here. That's why the labors of all those people I've mentioned, as well as the labors of hundreds and hundreds since, including you who are sitting in these pews, that's why your labors have not been in vain. Because your labors were not done for you by you, but rather done by God through you. And so, with God having worked to build, it's now our turn to keep the church, right? To guard the church, to take care of it. It's, it's going to be us that does that, right? Well, no. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Just like we couldn't have built the church by ourselves, so too we are wholly unable to keep it and guard it by ourselves. We need help and lots of it. But remember Psalm 121 just a, a few weeks ago? Remember what that song of a sense said to us, that one that began, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And do you remember what it said after that the Lord did and who he was? In, in, in the verses that followed, we saw, saw six times this point was reiterated. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep slumbers nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord is our keeper. He is the keeper of this church. It is he who keeps and guards and shelters and protects and continues to uphold this church. And sometimes we need to, to kind of let go and trust him to do that. Right? And not try to manipulate everything, not try to control everything, not try to keep everything just like it is, like it's always been like we like it, or, or not try to change everything so that it becomes just like we like it. Right? We, we have to let the Lord lead in that. We need to prayerfully seek him. We need to yield to his direction. We need to come together as, as a church and be talking through those things and working through those things. And the session needs to, needs to be listening to the membership for sure but even more than that the session needs to be listening to God and charting the course of the church going forward and making sure that we keep and maintain the church going forward that doesn't mean we neglect caring for it of course it just means that we we don't necessarily cling so tightly to our own desires to our own wants because sometimes the Lord moves in a direction that is contrary to what we would desire we should be willing to go with him instead of standing our ground. We're foolish to depend on our own ability to keep things just like we want them, and we are foolish to count solely on our ability to build in the same way we're foolish to depend upon our own ability to work hard. Right? It is in vain, we read in verse 2, that you rise up early and go, to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, where he gives to his beloved sleep. It's, again, it's, it's not that we shouldn't work hard. That's not at all what he is saying here. 
He is not saying we shouldn't work hard. He's saying that we must realize that all of our hard work, all of our ability, if it is not in the direction that the Lord is leading us, it is in vain. It is ultimately not the Lord's work that's being done. And if our work is not the Lord's work, it really doesn't matter how much we accomplish. If we are going in our own direction, if we're not listening to the Lord, if we're not following his lead, you know, we could build up Calvary Presbyterian Church to, to the, the mega church of Genesee County, right? And it would have 10,000 members, and we'd have to have 35 services every Sunday, right? You know, and I don't know how we'd squeeze them in, but we'd have to figure that out, right? But if we're not following the Lord, it would be worthless. If we're not letting him lead, it's worthless. If we're just building it up and keeping it and guarding it, working hard and doing our own thing, it is the height of vanity. At the same time, you know, there are little country churches that are faithfully seeking to serve the Lord. Maybe they have 10 members, 12 members, but they're serving the Lord faithfully where they are, following him. God is more glorified in that than he is in the mega church that is not following him. It's like the story that we read about in Luke 21 of the widow that Jesus saw. He said he saw a widow. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in much more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, it's not a matter of giving and doing and accomplishing great things. It's a matter of faithfully serving God and responding to the grace that he has shown us. And, and it doesn't matter so much whether we've given two little bits. If that's what we have to give, then the Lord is glorified and so we serve him because of the grace that he has shown us. None of us deserve to be his children. None of us deserve to be forgiven. None of us deserve to have fellowship with God. We've all sinned. We've all wandered away. We all deserve his judgment, but he has brought us in. He, he, has, he has, as a good shepherd, chased us down when we've wandered away. As the great physician, he has given us life when we were dead in our sins. And he has done this all through Christ Jesus who died on the cross so that we might have this new life. And so in response to that, we, we ought to want to serve him as best we can. Remembering this, we are not called to be extraordinary servants quite so much as we are called to be faithful servants of an extraordinary God. Let me say that again, just, just to make sure you caught it. We are not called to be extraordinary servants quite so much as we are called to be faithful servants of an extraordinary God. That all said, as we, we look to the past, we see how God has worked mightily here at Calvary. 75 years, we have much to celebrate much to rejoice in in all that he has done. 
But most of all, we celebrate his grace. His grace to us. And we must constantly remind ourselves of his grace. Constantly remind ourselves of how he has been good to us. How he has blessed us. How he has, has given us mercy we do not deserve. We must constantly remind ourselves of what he has done in the past. But we must also look forward to the future. As we look forward to the future, I pick up in verse 3. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Solomon looks to what a person leaves behind. He looks, looks to the future and says, says, what is their heritage going to be? What is their legacy going to be? You see, because, because a person was... When they died, they were going to entrust their possessions, yes, but, but as well their family and their, 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 their family's name and their family's legacy. And even before they died, oftentimes they were going to entrust themselves to their children, right? Because in their old age, when they were no longer able to take care of themselves, it was their children who would take care of them. And so, so everything would be entrusted to their children. We need to consider this fact that, that we are really doing the same thing with the church, right? We, we who, have, who have been members of this church, some of you for 75 years, have to realize that, that 75 years from now, you're probably not going to be here anymore, right? But somebody will, by the Lord's grace, if it's the Lord's will, Somebody will be here, and who's that going to be? Well, it's going to be the children, and the children's children, and the children's children's children, right? And so, so if that legacy, if that heritage from the Lord is going to be who is here, then it is necessary that we teach them well. We need to teach them well now. We need to commit ourselves to being a part of building up the newer generations we teach them well, not just by sending them off to class so that they can learn. Not that classes aren't important. They are. Not just by teaching them catechism. Yeah, catechism questions are important. We print them in the bulletin every week. Right? They're important. They're a good thing. But we teach them probably more than any other way by having them around us, showing them our example of faithfulness. William Gouge, the Puritan, once said, other than the Bible, the most powerful book your child will ever read is your life. He's right. You know, you can teach somebody all the truths in the world, but if your life contradicts those truths, what will they believe? So we should want our children to be present. We should want them to be around us, and we should long to live holy lives. This is, this is true in in life in general, just as we live life, we should do so with our children around us. And as we worship together, we should worship with our children here around us. You know, the youngest children in our midst don't understand everything that's going on. That's okay. They're learning the importance of being in worship. They might not get it all. They might not enjoy it all. But they're seeing a picture of, of what is important, that their family gather together to worship the Lord. I love what Derek Kidner had to say about it in his commentary on this passage. He said, it is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities. 
or at least responsibilities before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful, right? And children can be that way, can't they be? You know, I mean, they come out really cute and lovely and, and then they start crying, you know, and you have to change diapers and you have to feed them and you have to do this all and they don't do it on your schedule, it's on their schedule and what happened? This is, ah, this is hard, right? And when we bring children into worship, we get a picture of that sometimes. It, it can be messy, it can be difficult because maybe they're a little fidgety and they're rustling and they've got a little piece of candy in their wrapper as loud as they unwrap it and they, they whisper a little too loud. And, 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 you know, they just, ah. We need to be patient. We need to be loving. We need to be kind and gracious. Welcome them into worship with us that they might grow up in a worshipful environment. If we're looking to the future, we must be serious about raising this next generation. So part of it is having them around us. Part of it is committing to be for the children. Something that we've not done well in the last few years, frankly. And I say that not pointing the finger at anybody other than myself in the session of which I'm a member. We've not taken seriously enough the call to, to look forward to the future for our children, for our heritage. We've been talking about it in recent months at session, about the need to be more committed to that. And we are committing to do that. But, but the reality is that as we do that, it, it might be hard. It might, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but, but we seek kind of your, your feedback. Give us suggestions. Help us. And realize that it might be costly, right? It might, it might actually cost us. We might have to invest financially in, in this effort. But it's something that we need to do. We need to look forward to the future. It, it can be scary, indeed, whenever you start talking about investing financial means and, and things. That can be scary, but, but what's the most commonly imperative in the Bible? Do you know? Of all the imperatives you find in the Bible, what's the, the most commonly said one? It is this. It's not love God. It's not love your neighbor. It's not be holy. The most commonly found imperative is this. Do not fear. Fear not. That is what we find popping up in the pages of Scripture more often than any other imperative. And there is one reason that the Lord gives more than any other that we ought not fear. And it is this. I am with you. That's why we don't need to fear. Because God is with us. And so remember that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's not necessarily so that Calvary will last forever, but his kingdom will. And the focus of Calvary is not so much on Calvary as it is on the kingdom of God. And so we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we, we look to Jesus, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We look to Jesus who was and is and is to come. And we don't look to our fears. We look to him instead of our fears. In the past, there have been lots and lots of opportunities that, that the members of Calvary could have feared, right? You know, I'm sure that when Oscar and Ruth Zetterberg came out and started the Kersley Mission on the east side of Flint back in the early 1940s, they, 
They could have feared. They could have said, this is going to be too hard. Let's not do this. But instead, they stepped out in faith, trusting in God. And just a couple of years later, in 1944, Calvary Presbyterian Church was established. A couple of years later, they called Walter Taylor to become a pastor. And I'm sure he could have feared. After all, this was a, a new church. Who, who knows what will become of it? But instead of fearing, they moved forward. They looked to the future. They purchased a plot of land at Richfield in Genesee. Now, they didn't have the finances to build a big building at that time. But they stepped out in faith. Purchased that land prayed that the Lord would lead them and direct them. And within five years, a church building had been erected there. And worship services were being conducted there. And the church was growing. And it continued to grow. In 1972, Walter Taylor retired after 27 years as the pastor at Calvary. I'm sure that the church could have feared at that point, what's going to happen? We, we've only had one pastor in our whole history. We could be lost now. But the church didn't fear. The church moved forward. The church called Harold Polk as a pastor. And for 40 years, he served here. And those 40 years included some of the best days of this church. In 1980, the congregation was faced with a difficult decision. The congregation voted to leave the Presbyterian denomination that it was a part of. As a result, of a lengthy court battle that followed, lost that property down the road, lost all that it had, all that it had except its faith. And instead of fearing, the church moved forward. And during the 80s, spent time meeting in the Kersley school buildings, ultimately purchasing this land that we're sitting at right now, and ultimately built this building, which was bigger than the old building, nicer than the old building, and more capable of being used for the glory of God than the old building. They went forward. In 1993, uh, uh, an education wing was dedicated on the other end of this building. It enabled more classrooms to be built, larger nursery to be there, looking forward against the future. But even then, I don't know if people knew what would become of it that 20 years later there would actually be, be a school that would be there. And now we have a school that's in the building where there's people looking to the future, sharing the gospel with children, building up children in the Lord. In 2012, Reverend Polk announced his resignation as pastor to be effective in 2013, just after his 40th anniversary at Calvary. Those of you who were here at that time, remember it was a hard time. There were lots of reasons that we might have feared. And yet here we are, seven years later, today. Each step along the way for over 75 years, there have been earthly reasons to fear. But each step along the way for over 75 years, there have been heavenly reasons for comfort. And each step along the way for over 75 years, the Lord has said, fear not, for I am with you. And each step for the next 75 years and beyond, he will be with us still. For we are his, and he is ours. He has built this house, and we can be sure that his labor is not in vain. 
And so 75 years ago, we remember 101 charter members joined Calvary Presbyterian Church. Don Greenman is still with us. The others have gone to be with the Lord. Hundreds and hundreds of others since have moved on as well to the church triumphant. Most recently, our friend and brother Steve Obi just this past Wednesday. And all the saints who, who having their hearts made new by God, confessed Christ Jesus as Lord, now rest from their labors together in a blessed communion, in a fellowship divine. And we look forward to joining them one day in glory. But for now, even as we feebly struggle, let us fight as those saints who nobly fought of old. Let us trust in Christ as our rock, as our fortress, as our might, as our captain. Until that day when eyes of faith give way to eyes of sight and we behold the king of glory passing on his way. Should he tarry, may the next 75 years and beyond at Calvary be filled with alleluia upon alleluia. And from this pulpit and from these pews, may the name of Jesus be forever blessed. Amen. Our Lord, we thank you. We thank you for 75 years and beyond in the past. And we thank you for however many years you have for us in the future before you return. We pray that you would work through us, that you would enable us to be faithful, and that even as we stumble, even as we fail, even as we are unable, that you would be faithful, that you would be able, and that you would accomplish your purposes through us. To the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.